Welcome to a very hot and sizzling edition of Myth Take, our 10th episode. Yeah, okay, really, I thought it was 9, but that's good. Oh, it's all good. I thought it was 10. No, oh, well, something no, no, like that. Someone should be keeping track yeah, of these things. Yeah, yeah we probably should. Um, and I say hot and sizzling because we are in the midst of a very hot and very dry spell towards the end of July here as we're recording this, and we hope wherever you are that you are enjoying your summer as well. Uranos, 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 Uranos. There we go, we're done. Have a good evening. <laughs> Pack it up. Yes, this is going to be a challenging one, isn't it? Um, we've already talked a lot about um, Uranus in our earlier um, episodes on Jupiter and on Saturn. Yeah. Um, sorry, blanked out there for a minute. Yes. In the heat. Um, so, we should intru- introduce ourselves. Really I'm Darren Sundstrom. And I'm Allison. And this is I, Myth Take. Yep, and uh, Muggs the Cat is around somewhere too, and you'll probably hear from her. So... Uranus and Uranus. Uranus. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean is yeah, uh, yeah. Kaelum. Yeah, means sky. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If you want the Roman version, right? And this is interesting in a sense because they went with the Greek, right? That broke the tradition because Uranus um, is Greek. Yeah, but it's spelled in the Roman way. Uranus. But, but Kaelum, Kaelum means sky or heaven. That's the oh, same right. god in, okay, the, in, yeah. the, in the Roman. Okay. Mytho- yeah. Mythos, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, I see so that, yeah. you know, but so they just went with the they went with the Greek, yeah, right? which, which is kind of cool. So hey, there's there's something we came up with, <laughs> right? Okay. Well, I did I did a little bit of reading about the um, planet itself, so I can give us a little bit of a rundown on that to start with. Yeah, we, we need um, our um, data on on fascinating. Yeah. And so this is this is the segment of the show. Planet. This is the segment of the show called the classicist pretends to know something about astronomy. Yes. Okay. Um, so, seventh planet from the sun. It is 19.19 astronomical units from the sun. Do you, re- do you remember what an astronomical unit you, you is? You're constantly quizzing me on this. Well, I think I know, one I'm AU s- is the distance from the sun to the earth. Exactly. Right. Okay. So, basically... So it's out um, there. And this is all from the NASA website, so any mistake, blame them. Um, <laughs> if the sun were the size of a front door, earth would be the size of a nickel, and Uranus uh, would be the size of a baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so not, not big, mega giant, bigger than Earth, but much bigger than man. Earth, yeah. but um, certainly <clears throat> a heck of a lot smaller than the Sun, of course. And it is a weird planet because it actually rotates on its side, so it has very weird seasons. One day on Uranus is 17 hours. Right. One year is 84 Earth years, or 30,687 days, so you would be much younger. Yes. Than you are here. Mm-hmm. Um, rotates uh, east to west, so opposite of Earth rotation as well. So it's a little bit of a mixed up. Um, scientists think that it was maybe bumped into by some, like there was some in relatively recent time. Um, oh, yeah, on a cosmological scale. Yeah, um, it was crashed into by something else that has made it all a little bit wonky. Yeah. Um, so it's an ice giant, water, meth- methane, and ammonia. And then the methane, there's a there's some methane in the atmosphere, which again is largely hydro- hydrogen and helium. Mm-hmm. And the methane is what gives it its beautiful bluish color. Right. Yeah. I also heard that the methane is responsible for possibly 
hiding mm -hmm. the um, the icy core. No, the more sort of um, I don't know. The more it could have bands like Jupiter, but we don't know because the methane is sort yeah. of cloaks the entire planet. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I learned that it has what's called the great dark spot. So Jupiter oh. has the great red spot. Yeah. This is the great dark spot. So same idea that it's uh, some kind of storm that oh, yeah. um, is ongoing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, 27 moons. Hot. And these ones, interestingly, are named from Shakespeare. So they are. we were really hoping that we would have some. Here's a fast Greek, rundown: Greek. Cordelia, Ophelia, Bianca, Cressida, Des Desdemona, Juliet, Portia, uh, Rosalind, Cupid, Belinda, Perdita, and Puck. Those are the twelve. I won't give you all twenty-seven. Okay, good. Those are the first twelve, <laughs> right? Of, of that, they're all in there. The largest moons are Oberon and Titiana. Yeah. And um, some of the moons are as small as twelve to sixteen kilometers across across so mm -hmm. in the eight to ten mile range so some of them are quite tiny and they're blacker than asphalt so you can imagine why it has been very hard to identify moons um because you're standing on earth and you are trying you are looking up into black sky yes very things. extremely far away yeah. looking for very tiny black things mm -hmm. um so no surprise hopefully that um uranus was not discovered until 1781 that's right and it was discovered by William Herschel, or maybe his sister Carolyn. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's George's planet, is what they yeah, call it. Yeah, well, that was what he initially wanted mm -hmm. to um, call it, was or George's Matt. star in honor of King George, I think it was the third Mad, Mad King of, George. Yeah. But I have this lovely book that I pulled off my bookshelf called The Age of Wonder by uh -huh. Richard Holmes. And um, I read this a couple of summers ago. So I... Um, I was very excited to talk a little bit about Herschel. Um, Richard Holmes talks about kind of all of all of the fascinating discoveries and developments that were being done in science and technology, and he has quite a lengthy section on the Herschels. And Carolyn was an astronomer in her own right, mm -hmm. um, but given the society that she was in, um, she had to have her discoveries published as her brother's, William. So even though she... Um, it's a fascinating story so if you can get your hands on this book I really do recommend it. and what's it called again The Age of Wonder How the Romantic Generation Discovered the Beauty and Terror of Science by Richard Holmes cool um, really really good read um, and it's not not like science textbook it's no. it's a fantastic read and especially if you're interested in women and the history of science uh, and how easily they get obscured I think the notion beyond that you know, gender game that's going on there. The idea is that for, until that particular time, it was, you know, really not referred to as really anything. It was just yeah. discovered. And then they called it George's Star or George's Planet. Yeah, right? that's Georgium what William, Cetus, Yeah. Right? And then it wasn't even called Uranus until 1850. Yeah. So for a great deal well, of time, it they was did just it well, called that. It was like and saying, part of it... It's like, well, how great would it be the king to have a planet named after him? But you know? part of it, too, was they didn't... There was a lot of debate whether this was a planet or whether this was a comet, like mm -hmm. what exactly this was. Yeah. And William and Carolyn built mm -hmm. t built um, telescopes mm -hmm. um, and massive, and again, the book goes into, into detail on that, um, it would require just polishing glass literally for days without stopping. Oh, I can imagine. And Same. yeah, so this is, you know, this was cutting edge science, so mm -hmm. it wasn't readily adopted um, by everybody. And there, there was belief that, you know, <clears throat> or, or arguments that this was a comet. You know, it's very, yeah. very far away. It's very tiny. And 
Um, they can see it with telescopes, but certainly they don't have the resolution that we would expect to have today. Yeah. So, and who do you tell? Well, right. the Royal Society well, is where you go England, to. Right? Yeah, so, oh, it's, so it's the Royal Society. Yeah, and, and, and I'm sure that the, yeah. that, the, that the reception in the Royal Society was a, lot, a great deal, uh, I don't know, more open arms than it was, say, in like, you know, the well, 1600s when Galileo had to go make up his mind of whether to go to the Vatican or not. not and they said, not, oh, well, you know what? It's, well, not, not necessarily, <laughs> because what you run into is a bunch of people who are eminent in, in their various fields, yeah. and they're appointed to the Royal Society, and... We don't always like our ideas being challenged, yeah. especially if we consider ourselves experts in something, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, um, so, so it did take a while to get consensus that we were dealing with the planet here. Uh, and I'm probably going to butcher the quote, but it was in response to Galileo's, you know, information yeah. at the beginning of this revolution in, in science. Uh, was that <laughs> they, the Vatican said? I, I probably got it backwards, but it makes the most sense to me in this arrangement. Where, this is the Bible was there to inform you of the workings of heaven and not how heaven works. Ah. Right? So something like that. Yeah. So, and actually, I'm just thinking about that um, in terms of Pluto. Um, mm -hmm. You and I, growing up, we learned of Pluto as a planet That's and in right. relatively recent times. So you can even just think of how, how resistant many of us were to the idea that Pluto, Pluto is not a planet. And I how know. can it not be a planet, right? Yep, something so comes in. new ideas and new knowledge is not always quickly quickly adopted. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it needs to be tested and tried out and, and, and sorted out. Absolutely. Um, the only spacecraft to visit... Um, oh, night... I know it. Yeah? Let me guess. Voyager. Which one? Uh, two. Yes. Oh, there you go. Okay. 1986. All right. Um, took nine years to get there. And they even had to do a long-distance software <clears throat> upgrade. Um, Ooh, because, you know, been... well... <clears throat> think Can you how, imagine? Think how much it would change in nine years, right? Yeah. Technology. And, yeah. and they wanted to improve the quality of the pictures they were taking. And they sure. obviously can't upgrade the hardware at that yeah. point. But they did a long-distance software upgrade. Yep. Um, Voyager 2. Now, I, I wasn't entirely clear on how this worked. But according to... The information on NASA it says it took nine years to get there, but then it really only collected information for like a total of six hours. Sure. Total. So a really long trip for a very little <laughs> bit. But they, it did discover ten more moons and two more rings. There because more rings. More I was rings. also surprised to learn that we have rings around Uranus. Uranus, okay. Okay. All right. um, 15 rings, I believe. So initially 13, and then um, two more were confirmed in 2005. So that, in my math, makes 15. Mm -hmm. um, there's some inner narrow dark rings, some outer bright ones, and they were actually dis discovered 1977 by accident. Um, there were two teams of astronomers, one in the States, I think, and one in... Um, Australia mm -hmm. that were watching <coughs> the planet uh, move in front of a in front of a star and they kind of saw the light blink a, a couple of times as it moved across and yep. so then they're like oh my goodness like what's going on here and that's how they that's how they eventually figured out that um, it's dealing out. with rings so huh. I thought that was really interesting yeah, everything's got um, a couple of little um, tidbits. It's do we have a multimeter for? Uh, yeah, we do. Um, I was just going to say we've got a wonky magnetic field, a really strange magnetic field. Um, okay. You I would not know. want to grow a, to try to grow a vegetable garden because you only get one four hundredth of the Earth's sunlight. Wow. Yeah. So very little very sunlight. Kind of dense yeah. atmospheric filter. And because of its because it's on its side yes. and it's got perpendicular axis. Yeah. 
Um, it, there's these, the the seasons are 20 years long, and True. so your seasons are like complete light or complete dark. That's like cool. there's yeah. yeah, so it's very different from Earth. I did um, find out one interesting fact about, uh, related to Uranus's unique perpendicular axis that its south pole does face the sun, and as a result of this, you would think, well, this that side would be the hottest side. No, in fact, its equatorial region, which is does not face the sun, it faces would be you know. Zenith yeah. and Nadir in the opposite direction is still uh, the hottest part of the planet. So the mechanism that creates that is unknown. Yes, maybe yeah. there's something inside the planet yes. that's still generating, yeah. heat. It's generating heat. Okay, so our mugsimeter, our 8-pound cat on Earth is uh, 7.112 ah. pounds. So a little bit lighter, but not a huge, um, a huge, a huge difference. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um... So I think that's kind of the rundown of the science part. Um, like I said, we'll have the link. And I'll put a link to that book up as well, just in case anybody's interested. Chasing in the Sun. Uh, no, no, oh. no, I'm going to talk about that oh, one later. Okay. The age it's of the Wonder. Age of Wonder, yeah. Okay. I'll get ahead of yourself yeah. there. Oh, no, okay. I, you know, I just saw yeah, it. I know. So, Greek gods. Greek Uranus. Yeah, okay. well, he doesn't have a lot of data. Tell you that. We've already talked about him a lot. Yeah. Um, his his story, his, we almost should have done the planets in the opposite order <laughs> and yeah. done the story chronologically. But anyway, we didn't. So yeah. here we are. Um, so He sits the Agony primary source. Yeah. Else. So he is, uh, I guess he's say, the second generation. There's the, no, the primordial beings. Yeah. Um, I'd say the first sort of, you could say something like the first king. Yeah. The um, so, uh, according to Hesiod, the cosmos starts with chasm or chaos, which is not chaos in the sense of being chaotic, um, like having a herd of cats running around, um, but just like but in the sense of chasm, yeah. um, space. Chaos space, means void, void or space. Yeah. Um, and then Earth, and then Tartarus, which is the underworld, and then Eros, a force of attraction. Right. Um, so those are the first four beings, and then Earth. Gaia. Um, Gaia gives birth parthenogenically. So parth a whole bunch of yeah. interesting things. So to many things yes. that populate the earth. Yeah. And one of the first things that, actually the, the first thing she gives birth to is, is Uranus. Um, okay. And uh, so he is... To be a partner is, and an equal to yes. cover her on all sides. Yes. Someone and for her to copulate with. Yes. Um... He see it says, Earth first bore a child equal to herself, starry sky, Uranus, to cover her all over and to be an always safe home for the blessed gods. Yeah. Picture like a stack of three CDs on top of each other. Uh, okay. Going from top to bottom would be Uranus, the middle one would be Gaia, and the lower disc would be Tartarus. Tartarus. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And these, um, these early beings answer the kind of, the, um, if, if we're going to take a structuralist view, as we are as we are wont to do, mm -hmm. kind of answer the basic questions about humanity and that that come up in mythology, which is basically kind of how did we get here? Yeah, where did how did Earth from? get here? Yeah, and where do we go when we die? Totally. Um, which is the Tartarus um, aspect of it. Yeah. Um, so Earth, um, Earth produces mountains and seas and. Um, all kinds of things. All kinds of things. Yeah. Um, by herself. But then she also reproduces with Sky. And just a little refresher from last week is that it results in the birth of the Titans. Yeah. 
um, including um, Urea and uh, Kronos, who is the youngest, youngest. Helios. God, there's a whole pile of them. Yeah. There's six and six, right? Coyus, Cryus, Hyperion, Iapetus, Thea, Rhea, Wright, Memory, yeah. Phoebe, Tiphys, yeah. and Cronus. And of course... Um, so the race of the Titans. Yes. Um, Sky... Uranus. Is not very well behaved. Yeah, well, he does what he does. He does what he does. Yeah, he's the first despot in some ways. So he... Um, he does to, what he is designed to do. Yes. So we talked about the story of his castration when we talked about Kronos, but I think we should just give a little recap because it's, it's been a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Or if somebody hasn't listened to that. Um do you want to sure. kind of recap what happens with... Uh... Uranus begins almost immediately uh, procreating with Gaia, with Earth, and he sires um, a number of generations of beings, the Cyclopes, the Hundred Handers. Uh, uh, <coughs> there are three uh, Cyclopes, there are three One Hundred Handers, as well as the what will go on to be the race of the Titans, and I believe that's a six and a six, six male and six female Titans. They are created inside of Gaia, all right, through this uh, act of sexual reproduction. Yeah, copulation. Uh, but they are not allowed to be born because at this point in the cosmic order and the model, Uranus, the sky or the heavens, are uh, is uh, on top of the earth in physical contact yes. with the earth. And no space exists whereby which these beings can be given life. Yes, right? so and I, I sometimes think here of... They're embedded inside Gaia. Of uh, children's <clears throat> drawings, like in kindergarten and stuff, where they, you know, with the paints, and you do a big blue stripe across the top of the page, and that's yeah. the sky up there. And so here, um, in, in the myth, the sky is not up there yet. The sky is tightly against the Earth. Yeah. So um, Gaia... <coughs> that will change, which you learned Gaia, about last time. Yes, so just to recap <clears throat> that too... Um, Gaia is all about procreation and she's all about the youngest generation and producing a new generation and so she turns to her children inside of her because she can speak because they're inside of her she can speak to them without without Ernos knowing and uh, she produces a, a sickle and Kronos volunteers to cut off Ernos's genitals um, which is very painful and causes him to arch up into the sky and yeah. separate from earth yeah, and <clears throat> from this primordial act of violence, he also it's also an act of creation as well. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> because we get the furry, the furries, the, the furries. furies. <laughs> we get the furries. <laughs> no furries here. Oh my goodness, um, the furies. Mm -hmm. um, and the um, who else do we get? You get the the melee, the astrean nymphs. Right? Yes, the astrean nymphs and. Um, Giants and the giants, yeah, yeah, the blood brood. So all of yeah. these come as a result of the blood of the from the castration wound, and then you can go way back to Venus and talk about Aphrodite. But this idea of the blood itself, yes. uh, and that that that, that Uranus is a fertile being, that the male sky gods that are starting to make their way into this cosmological order are themselves fertility beings as well. Yes, <clears throat> and the when the blood hits the earth, it creates these. These, this trinity of, of, of beings. And you see correlations of this idea even in the book of Genesis when um, 
uh, Abel's blood hits the earth in Genesis 4.10. says, your brother's blood cries out from the soil. Then later on in Job 16.8, it says, he says out loud, earth, do not cover my blood and let there be no place for my scream. So the earth itself is um, a place that, um, you know, reacts to these types sort of moments of, of uh, primordial violence. Mm -hmm. And they can also be extremely um, fertile as well, right? Yeah, and we and we did talk about how Aphrodite um, in our Venus episode about, yeah, about the birth the of Aphrodite um, and how and how the female uh, a female fertility goddess comes out of this um, male sky gods um, yeah. genitals. Yeah. yeah. So this uh, this act of violence is a, is a is also a depotentiation, right? It's a castration. It's the beginning of the castration mm -hmm. complex. We see that the male genitalia, at this point, we're sort of getting the idea, at least in the sort of Freudian structuralist sense, that that's the locus of male power, all right, the source of domination, right, that sort of uh, phallic symbol. And once that's taken away, this being, Uranus, has become depotentiated. Mm -hmm. He's been neutered in a way. And he, he very quickly in the theogony um, shrinks, not to the point of insignificance, but he is reined in by Gaia, mm -hmm. right? And so Gaia engineers his creation and function, but also engineers his fall, right? And this episode, um, we haven't done an episode on Gaia yet. Um, mm -hmm. This episode here in, in, in Theogony um, is where we first see Gaia's Matis, her cunning intelligence. Sure. And we talked about Matis when we talked about Hermes and Hermes slash Mercury. Yes. Um, and even Zeus, I mentioned it a few yes, times. With Zeus. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so here, here is is our first uh, our first time in Hesiod, Theogony, that yeah. we see this quality yeah. um, where she is using it to um, for her own ends. Sure. Yeah. It, it's the it's the ultimate sort of secret yeah. weapon, right? And but in t instead of talking about it as a Gaia aspect, we want to keep it in the Uranian side of things and say. What is it that Uranus, he does not have that quality. He exactly. doesn't have the prophetic or oracular quality either. Well, you know what? He does. He does have it because he talks about it a little bit later on when he prophesizes to his children, the Titans, that they will be cursed and that they will be punished, that retribution or vengeance mm -hmm. is coming to them for what they did to him, right? Mm -hmm. Because as cruel as it might, may be or uh, as much as a crime as it may be, that this is something that children should not do, uh, Cronus, that is, and his siblings, should not do to a father, mm -hmm. right, is to, to, to do this, to, to get involved, at least in the first phase of the succession myth, right, the usurpation well, cycle. But I also want to add that we're still dealing with strength because Uranus is strength, right? Yeah. Gaia has to fall back to Matus and the children because she doesn't have the strength to overcome him in a physical contest because this is... Uh, this is a world that is, is, at this point, yes, it's male and female, but it's, it's egalitarian when it comes to that. When she makes him as a partner, as an equal, if it's a 50 pushing against a 50, that's, you know, that's not going to happen, right? Nothing happens. She can't get him off of her. And the, and this is where we, we see this cycle starting in the succession myth of mm -hmm. vengeance, which is retributive justice. Sure. Because... <clears throat> Um, Uranus's crime, and it is a crime, yeah. is preventing the birth of further creation. And as as, as I was saying earlier, Gaia yeah. is all about that. And right. so he is punished for that, but then in turn his punishers are also punished, and it kind of it goes you know, back and forth. It, it could be turned on his head as a kind of a semantic argument, because he is in fact creating life. What is the crime is that they are not being allowed to exist 
Yeah. Right. And I and I, I had just finished rereading sections of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and talking about another person who creates another being, just like Uranus creates his children, right? Uh, with Gaia, Victor von Frankenstein creates Frankenstein's monster in the modern Prometheus, right? And and Uranus, sort of like Victor Frankenstein, is, abandons his creations, right? He um, he's a being that was too afraid in many ways to claim responsibility for what he had created, right? And um, their their existence, these children, the Cyclopes, the Hundred Handers, the, the, the Titans themselves, their existence is robbed of meaning. And that might be ultimately what the crime is. Yes, Gaia wants life, and I'm sure that all goes with it, but there's something else there. They, they, they're not persons in the philosophical sense, right? They're not allowed to exist. So she takes steps in order to, to rectify that situation, right? And, and to push the analogy slightly further, when Victor, Victor Frankenstein, saw what he had created, he was horrified. Terror was his reaction, right? And Uranus, when he saw what he had created, his first creations, the Cyclopes and the Hundred Handers, he was... Um, you know, it says that he was... Uh, well, I, I want to talk about yeah. that, actually, because... Um, one of the things in myth mm -hmm. is you can learn about the parent, mm -hmm. the mythological parent, by looking at their children. Yeah. Because aspects of the parent come through with... Genetic inheritance. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so when we have a look at about line 207, Great mm -hmm. Sky, their father, called his sons titans or strainers, mm -hmm. quarreling with the sons whom he himself begot. He said they strained in wickedness to do a deed of great evil, but there would be revenge afterwards. Yeah, overreachers, Titanio. Now, and before that, though, it does talk about the aspects of the Cyclopes and the Hundred Handers that Uranus was, was uh, frightened by, challenged by, right? says something like um, he, um, you know, I can't remember the exact words. I wish I had it. But when he saw their manhood. Yeah, right? I'm just looking to it. I think that it, that's actually a little bit... You know, Later, and he was horrified at what he had created, right? The sum yeah. of his ambition, and I'm thinking now about about Victor von Frankenstein, in a sense, you know, Frankenstein's monster, uh, was to create, you know, something, right? And that that resulted in a terror. It's the pride of knowledge and untempered wisdom. But he, Uranus is, a, in this point, pretty much a mechanism, right, for procreation. And he is punished for his mm -hmm. choices. There's judgment here, right? They say like the claw law, right? The lex talonis, the law of retribution is a red claw law, right? Because it means that there will be an unending cycle of vengeance, that blood will be spilled. So here's the beginning, right? It's a primordial mm. act of violence. And myth is violent, right? You light the fuse, and here it is, right? And, it, and it's a generational contest. Here is an example of the succession myth when... Uh, you know, sons rise against fathers, right? You know, but actually, you know, another thing that I find really interesting too is this idea that the subtext is not only the succession myth and sort of the showcasing of the quality of Matus or prophecy, the rise of Zeus and Hesiod's Theogony, but also that idea of the, uh, I, I want to call it conflict of the orders, but I don't want people thinking about like Roman cursus honorum or anything. It's about the, the combat in the between genders in some way about how we're seeing in embedded in the story the um, fall I'm, I'm just going to say fall right now for lack of a better word of female fertility goddesses 
subordination to yeah. male sky gods, right? Yeah, a shift. Uh, right, so you're getting it very early in the primordial cosmos, yeah. right? They're still there, right? And they'll find what channels they need to work through, but it, be, it will become a male-dominated patriarchal order. It will be Zeus sky gods. And right? Gaia's powers um, devolve, so to speak, down through her female children. That's so right. yeah. um, down to out. Artemis and Aphrodite and, yeah. and lots of other ones, but... Yeah. Her, 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 she, she will fade into the background mythologically yes. speaking. Yeah. Um, I think the last time that we really see her is him to Aphrodite. No, um, um, him to Demeter. Him, him to Demeter. Um, and she fades into the background because she's not needed anymore. She, right. There's, there's enough fertility goddesses that carry on different aspects of, of her fertility nature absolutely like picture gaia at the beginning you know for all her fertility made us and in prophecy like a plate glass window once the rise of zeus comes up you know zeus basically throws a uh, a thunderbolt let's say metaphorically speaking through that plate glass window and all those fragments are absorbed and redistributed into the pantheon of goddesses and male gods right because i think that's something that's overlooked we right away qualify fertility with feminine but in this in this uh, in this system, um, there, no, there no are case. there are male for, male absolutely male there are yeah. right absolutely there are yeah. right so there there is more it's something else that's sort of going on right it's earth versus sky right and it's male and female right yeah. um, so you, you you sort of see that idea um, going on uh, in the early pages and these these this idea of you know female earth goddesses um, being subordinated by male sky gods uh, um, is a, a fairly popular idea in, in you know mythic scholars mythic scholars talk about it and the one of the quotes that I had from um, a scholar that I, I got a chance to work with at Brock University shed a little light on it and he said the worlds are constructed and this is what we're getting with Hesiod Hesiod is is constructing a world. He's constructing a cosmic order, and he's saying that this is the true one. There are many alternatives. Yes, right? and we really only have Hesiod's yeah. to go with. And we really only have Hesiod's um, to go but, with bits and pieces. But right? he is constructing something specific, right? In mind. So, and we talked again. We, we talked about that last last week, um, or one of the previous episodes. And the quote is that worlds are constructed by the careful reformulation of worlds that were already there. Yeah. Right. So this is not a sui generis production right this builds legitimacy when we do this because an audience will recognize its former face right and it'll say oh is that oh i kind of know is that the way it really was and he said says yes this is the way it really was right it aids in its success right and and that's what they call soft force uh as far as persuasion is concerned i don't beat you over the head with a new ideology i reformulate what you already know i reshape it and you recognize it, and then you accept it through the soft force persuasion, right? And and those are types of things that um, Hesiod is working on, working with. And the other thing, again, for those who are less familiar with with um, the poetry, um, Hesiod spends a good chunk of the beginning of the poem, oh. basically giving us his source, which is the which Zeus. are the muses, um, which are sent by Zeus, and they can tell you, they can persuade you of things. Both truth, uh, truth, and uh, and falsehood. Right, right. You've got the both sides with with the muses. Yeah, um, and so it's just a great. It's a in itself is a fascinating insight 
into the nature of knowledge in the ancient Greek world. So it's like uh, Hesiod is citing his sources for the <laughs> poem he's going to write by saying, I got this from the muses, and here's how they gave it to me, and here's mm -hmm. how, how they told me. And you're getting it exactly how they gave it to me. Um, and so that's um, yeah, how he gets authority, right. how he presents himself as, as having authority to tell this tale yeah. and this version of the tale. Yeah, his divine encounter on the slopes of Mount Helicon. He yeah. receives what he calls elutheia, true things, right? And it's like, hey, pay attention because everything that I'm going to tell you in this poem is going to be the truth. What you've heard before, although you may recognize some of it, is in fact lies, right? So he yeah. will be the purveyor of that yeah. ultimate wisdom. That, that's a very sort of interesting um, concept that goes on with him. And Uranos, you know, he plays a, plays a little bit of a role at the beginning, but that little role is really so, so important in kind of characterizing how the rest of the story is going to go, mm -hmm. right? Because it is about fertility, and it is about criminality, and it is about sexuality and violence. And right? it's about the natural... Um, the natural order of things yes. from a human perspective of sons taking over their fathers. And because we're dealing with immortal gods, the sons can't wait around for the fathers to die and take over. So if, it, if it's going to progress, if the sons are going to come into their own, then they need to make it happen. They need to make it happen. Some There needs to be some mechanism, yeah. right? Yeah. To because Ernos allow... isn't killed. Right. He's, he is still there. Um, yeah. Kronos isn't killed. No. He's just imprisoned, right? No. So, on Earth, you, you on Earth you would wait around for your father to die and yeah. then take over. Yeah. Um, but for the gods, it doesn't work that way. Doesn't really work that way. No, it's a, it's a little be bit different. Be waiting a really long time. I think they'd be waiting a really long time. Yeah, there needs to be some sort of mythological um, system that needs to be established. No, there so is. This one, is what they exactly. <laughs> so that one Violence. one generation can overcome the other. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, you have. You have um, that stagnation right, yes. that works in opposition to everything that Hesiod's talking about. Profundity, yeah. the profundity of life, right? Yeah. The sort of, uh, what do they call the adbulient quality, the bubbling mass, yes. right? So th that's the way that the universe is supposed to go, right? And after the castration, right? And after, you know, Kronos is you know, set up, then boom, you get that massive section where the, the universe just... It complicates yeah. itself extraordinarily, right, with all the new births, right? Yeah. So that's all in there. So you can see that Uranus, uh, the depotentiation of Uranus is um, really linked to that that pivotal moment. It, it's kind well, of like, and, a, and it's, it's like a big bang. It's, it's critical to how, how Cronus is going to rule because yeah. he knows what he did to his father that's and right. he knows that he's vulnerable. Yeah. And he chooses a different way, mm -hmm. um, which doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but... We see Kronos saying, okay, I did this to my father. I'm not going to let my children do this to me. Yeah. I'm going to eat them. Yeah. And put them, since having them inside the mother doesn't work, I'm going to have them inside of me. Mm -hmm. see, um, and it, that, of course, as we know, doesn't work. Right. And we're thinking back to Uranos for a section about why he, for, for a second, about why he does what he does. And the Greek word hedonai, right, where we get hedonistic, pleasure, comes, unto, comes to mind, right? And Uranos is very much hedonistic, right? He's pleasure-oriented. I don't know how complicated his <laughs> psyche would be, right, as a being. These are very early-on primordial elemental beings. But lust, eros, the erotic, is loose in the universe. And here's one of the first beings, right, well, to pick up that call well, and, and it's not do even... what he does. 
And right? it's it's not even that eros is lust. It's eros uh, is that force of attraction. It's like yeah. a force like gravity. It's a yeah. force of attraction yeah. that he's not he's not able to do anything else yeah but you know the sexes are drawn together yeah right? exactly that that's mystery. that's what i mean yeah. like it's yeah. it's it's not something that like it's like gravity you can't mm -hmm. resist it it's yeah. it's there and it's and he and he does what he does right so that is that is uranus's the nature of uranus's crime right is around is evolved around pleasure yeah right and uh, for that he is judged yeah. Right, and for that, he is punished. Right, and you know how the rest of it works out. Now, when you look at Kronos, right, Kronos modifies his behavior slightly. Right, when it comes to the relationship with the children, but not enough. But not <laughs> enough, right? Not enough, and his desire, right, for power, this time, right, yeah. is what sets him up. Right, Gaia said, "Okay, you're in charge, Sonny." Good luck, right? And here's a prophecy. Look out for your last-born son. And then she goes and does the laundry with yeah. with Uranus. He's still there, yeah. right? He's he's like, you know, you see Louis the Fourteenth or whatever has those little dogs that sit on the lap dog, like, you know, in, in all the in Renaissance art. Okay. Little lap dogs became, you know, in fashion and stuff like that. That's what Uranus is, right? He, Gaia is large and in charge he's, in the, at this yeah. point in the universe, and he becomes a hangers-on. He becomes Prince Philip to Queen Elizabeth, right? He was a stud, right? But now he's been emasculated, right? And depotentiated. And he's, I, and he's I just, simple window dressing in a fancy uniform for the woman who has all the power, right? I'm just going to apologize like to all our listeners who are royal you don't fans. Have to, no, you don't have to. Podcast. <laughs> you get saucy language. You get all kinds of stuff. It's all good. Oh, dear. <laughs> Right, so that that's 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 Uranus in a nutshell, and it actually does mention him one other point later on in Hesiod's Theogony, where he simply mentioned being in the company of Gaia, mm -hmm. right, and and that's all. It's it's when it's when Rhea decides to go yeah. see her mother and her father, right, for, for help, advice. right, and and they say, oh, you know, we got to do something, and they're just they're chilling, you know, they're they're in the twilight of the years, and who knows, maybe they're retired. Moved up to Elliot Lake. They've moved up to, yeah, I don't know. They're living in Elliot Lake. I don't know why we're <laughs> to Elliot Lake. Okay. So I think that that really does, Uranus. I'm not sure that we've got much more to say about him. Um, why not? Because I think, well, we don't want to flog a dead horse here. Okay. <laughs> we're going to start repeating ourselves. Mercury, <laughs> Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, right? Yes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seventh planet from the sun, yes. Uranus, Caelum in Rome, right? But and the myth is exactly the same. Neptune is next. Neptune, Neptune's next. Mm -hmm. Neptune, so. Greek Poseidon, Trident, Canatuna, the blue ball, right? We'll be looking at the hypervirile, violent and sexual being that is Poseidon in so, the next podcast. Yes. And we don't have any listener mail because I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Do we have listeners? I'm not even sure this, if we have listeners. People are certainly downloading. Not important. <laughs> yes, it is. Our listeners are very important to us. Of course. Um, I just want to share another book that I just started reading. I found it in the big box bookstore that is about the only bookstore left in Canada. 
Um, and it uh, was in the discount pile, so I got a really good deal on it. And it's this one's by Richard Cohen, and it's called Chasing the Sun, and it's basically the story of the sun. So. Um, anthropology, mythology, um, science, just without being too, t I mean, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not too, I'm only about four or five chapters into it. To put it back in where, when we did the sun yeah, itself. Yeah, but that's why I'm sharing it now. Absolutely. Um, I just finished an interesting chapter <clears throat> on eclipses and aurora borealis and um, some of the, how, how those uh, phenomenon have been thought about throughout time and the fear that they um, caused and that kind of thing. Um, there's a little bit of science in it because there has to be, um, but it is a very enjoyable read. And um, I'm, yeah, and the, he's going to be talking about like how, how we use the we'll science to navigate to and technology. So it's, again, if you're interested in history of science stuff like I am, um, it is a nice one to geek out on. And I never thought I'd be as interested in astronomy as I actually have. I'm, I've become more interested in astronomy since starting this uh, right. our, this uh, planetary tour. That's the good, it's the good yeah. reads section. Yeah. Okay. So, um, a little bit shorter this week, but... Um, Tune in next week when we'll be yeah. looking at Poseidon. We'll be looking well, at next Neptune. episode, yeah, when right. we get there. Um, yep. I always say next week. Yeah. So... should be weekly. It's not... On not behalf of the cat... Yep. Good night... Drop us a line on Twitter. I'm at Ines Allison. I'm at Darren Sundstrom. As usual, uh, show notes, links, everything like that will be up on the blog. Right on. And have a good night. Have a good night. Stay cool. Keep your chin up. Yeah.